I love that. This is how we're going to start. <laughs> nice to be back, guys. Nice about, to see what you. What if we do it in like the footnotes, like at the end, like read it as a legal tag, like natural disclaimer, Oz Davis is not 100% correct. <laughs> it's called a MacGuffin report. Movies, TV, American culture. You in? From L.A., the MacGuffin Report, produced by Inclusive Media. Yeah, I have to admit it. I am fallible. I'm sorry. Everything else on the, what, 10 episodes of season one, I I got 100% correct. However, I did biff one factoid in the Batman episode, much to my shame. Uh, Apparently, my British geography isn't really great. Apparently, the 1989 Batman, directed by Tim Burton, was filmed in London, Hertfordshire, and Cambridgeshire, or sure, (laughs) and Liverpool, which I claimed parts of it had been filmed in, is, of course, in Lancashire, which, as the Beatles reminded us, has 10,000 holes in it. Uh, So I apologize for that. The weird thing about this is I actually remember picking up this factoid in 1989 in a fan magazine. Mm. And it was reported there because, you know, this is the equivalent of bad internet in those days. Yeah. And it's stuck with me ever since is this little incorrect factoid. So the weird bits and all those insane gothic statues and stuff, I guess that's South London. Um, which it doesn't really surprise me because London is massive. I mean, you go there all the time, right, Rachel? So yeah, not all the time. I've well, been there a handful of times. Though, which is probably yeah, I mean, more too. than most yeah. Americans. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. So it's it's pretty. They've got some pretty freaky stuff there. So I'm not surprised. But again, apologies for the error, especially to if any British listeners out there. <laughs> sorry. I know we have at least one. Ooh, one British sorry. listener. Can a rom-com from the 1930s still resonate? Not that I'm an expert in romantic comedies because I watch all of them uh, as a hobby. Uh, the I think if you take away all the edits, the edits, editing style of editing and the way it's shot and the black and white part of it, because we know we have color now. Uh, if you take away all that, I think a good story is going to resonate. Um, and so... If you like for me, I have to sift through all like the black and white and the style of editing and the way it's shot and then come to an understanding of like and kind of like separate everything from the story. And is the story, does the story hold up? And I think that's what uh, for me, if a romantic comedy in the 30s, uh, if it had a good story, like a good meet cute and, and a great uh, like middle where you, you, you believe they fall in love. And you understand why they fell in love. And then, you know, they overcome all these odds, uh, you know, to... There's a phone call. Someone's important. (laughs) Amazing. Only if you're a producer. I know. Can you leave your phone on? But you know what, though? In his defense, he he didn't say... Please silence your phone. Yeah, please extinguish all phones. He, he didn't do that. He didn't so <laughs> you know what's hilarious though? When you get a phone call at the wrong time, do you guys ever get mad at the person that called you? Because like it's not like they're not, they're they're gonna know that you're not supposed to get a phone call. No, because exactly what you said. Right. But then I know I sometimes I get mad. I'm like why are you why are you calling now? Well, you know? I the thing that I always used to pick up on was they advertised this when cell phones started getting really popular in the states. One of the companies was using cellular freedom. 
as their slogan, right? Yeah, you have the freedom to be bothered in yes. all places of your house at all hours of the day, all the time. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the, good old, like, the good old ball and chain. Yeah, it's the good old freedom is slavery thing from 1984, you know? I mean, it's just like cellular slavery, you know? Let's be honest. All right, so yes. So I think like a, a good story will resonate regardless of the, the era, just because it's a good story. Um, but for me personally, yeah, I do have to sift through all like the secondary and tertiary things that make up a movie. Uh, because if the story is good, I think it'll resonate. Because hopefully, love, like falling in love, being in love doesn't change. Hopefully. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, we don't come to a time period where uh, we we're to become cynical about falling in love. Uh, but if everything stay, stays kind of status quo about falling in love, I do believe that a romantic comedy from the 30s uh, would resonate at any time, as long as the story is solid. I would say yes and no. I would say yes and no. Um, okay, here's the thing. Yes, the romance can stick, right? This is why we still do Shakespeare, right, in, in the theaters and stuff. And we still remake it in the movies, for that matter. But comedy... Right. Comedy has okay. a hard time mm-hmm. flowing between cultures, as we already know, and between, you know, um, time periods. Mm-hmm. OK. And that comedy is affected by the sensibilities of the time. I mean, there's one bit where our hero in and happened one night is lecturing the father and advising that he should be smacking, you know, his daughter around more often. You know, like, like, what is this, the taming of the shrew? I mean, it makes the taming of the shrew look like when Harry met Sally. Um, this, is, this is one part that movies really um, have an issue with, is just the comedy of the time. Now, I won't say, because I hate it when people say it was good for the time. Mm-hmm. He goes, okay, Chaplin is doing movies 10 years before this that might still be progressive today. You know, stuff like The Kids, stuff like City Lights. I mean, that sensibility is a modern sensibility, and he's doing that in the 1920s, folks. So I don't believe that we need this sexist nonsense and and this, you know, men are better than women kind of crap. I don't think we need that. The bits that I think still resonate in this movie, It Happened One Night, um, or for example, The Road Trip. Because that kind of stuff can still happen, not mm-hmm. exactly the same way. You know, not everybody's going to sing that cheesy song. What was it? The Flying Trapeze, the, flying the trapeze. trapeze artist, right? They would, uh, they would have also gotten there sooner if it was now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's the thing. Because stuff like that is more, I, I travel on buses and trains a lot. Stuff like that is much more uh, nowadays uh, likely to happen on a train. Mm-hmm. Because it takes a lot longer. Yeah. You're there for a longer mm-hmm. time, right? On bus, it's like, even in Las Vegas, it's like zip five hours yeah. from here. So from, from Los Angeles or whatever. But uh, the other thing I wanted to say is this, too. The 30s is a particularly weak era for Hollywood. Pe- people like to talk about Citizen Kane and it's such a great movie. The reason why Citizen Kane is such a great movie is because Orson Welles said, hey, let's do this with the camera. Let's create a different camera angle because guess what? We're not in theater anymore, Mm -hmm. which is how cinema looks before the 40s, right? You're stuck with that static space, a Mm -hmm. box for a long time, and characters are walking in and out and stuff. Again, that theater convention is still there. And by the 30s, it's so overblown, it's, it's tiresome. You know, to watch this movie, it's just like this, visually, this is boring as hell. Mm hmm. 
you know, a movie from 1930s Hollywood. You got to remember this, too. This is before Hollywood was dominant in world cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, Renoir is producing stuff for the French at this point. The Germans have been doing this weird, kooky stuff in the 20s and the 30s. Fritz Long Metropolis, stuff like this. Um, so, you know, this isn't a great era for Hollywood, specifically the 30s. Speaking to rom-coms, I suppose, yeah, I think that if you have a good story and the relationships are strong, it will, you know, it'll still resonate, it'll still come through. But watching it happened one night and seeing Clark Gable's character talking about, you know, having the guy smack his daughter around, I was like, oh, that did not age that was well. Great. So uh, was I the only one that was raising his fist in, in agreement? Yeah. <laughs> Punch oh, God, the air. to be your kid. <laughs> Totally the dad that spanks your kid. Hey, sometimes a good smack in the face it goes a long way. <laughs> well, once a day, this guy was prescribing. Come Literally, on, yeah. But yeah, I think a good story, a good relationship that'll that'll you know hold through. And then if your your story is good enough, it'll get remade into uh, the good old Keanu Reeves Sandra Bullock Lake House. Yeah. <laughs> but wasn't this one tired? I mean, even for then. It's like poor little rich girl, you know, meet the real guy. And he's mm-hmm. all like, I just want somebody who can, what, what did he want? Somebody who could go swimming with him. He wanted to go to an island. Go to an island. Yeah, just take off, like no that. responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Really? Really? I mean, I didn't really buy very much of this at all, you know, even given the limitations of travel and whatnot of the time. I just, you know, it's, it's the easiest possible route, I think, to the romantic comedy is this particular story. Poor little rich girl. Yeah. Well, but but back then though, because I don't know much about thirties films, but how many romantic comedies were there back then? Like, because well, yeah, yeah. now if you this take that story now, yeah. I think like um, it, with regards to like the road trip scenario that could happen now. But if like mm-hmm. if a guy says, "Oh, my dream is just to go to an island," we feel like okay, well that's every that's almost anyone's dream <laughs> to go to an island. <laughs> like I don't even need the girl. Like I can just I just yeah. want to go to the island. Um, but yeah, I, I think I mean back then. I mean, I, and I don't know if they're like the first romantic comedy, second or third. Yeah, or and was it even a genre at the time? Well, yeah. you have Philadelphia Story, and that's from the 30s and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? You have like, um, you know, the early uh, Cary Grants. You have, you know, that kind of stuff. So there were better romantic, you know, mm-hmm. the Hepburn stuff. Okay. There were better romantic things around this time. I, I don't think those qualify actually as a rom-com because huh? there was really no rom in there. Mm. I, I feel like yeah. those are more screwball comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I think also with the romantic comedy genre, and I don't know if it's because it's evolved or whatnot, but the comedy part of it, I feel like it, it the, the threshold is, is pretty wide. Like, do you have to actually laugh out loud in a romantic comedy or is it just because it's a light kind of like movie, the tone's light. It qualifies as a as a comedy, or but a romantic comedy though. But if you take away the rom part, if you take the rom part out of it, then that movie is like a horrible comedy because I didn't laugh once, type of thing. <laughs> like where you know where do we kind of like draw the line of like okay, this is a romantic comedy. Well, it's like they tell you in theater, right? So it's like uh, in a in a drama or a tragedy, you have deaths at the end. In in the uh, comedy, you have a wedding at the end. Mm, Right. So it's almost like in certain areas of theater and movie and whatnot, just the fact that you have a love story makes it a comedy. Yeah. You know, now in this case, now we're splitting hairs a bit because we have genres and subgenres. We do. But now you call that a romantic comedy because I guess you can have a comedy without a love story, but it's just not that common. 
It, yeah, well, you mean like at the movies? Yeah, because even, even those, even the movies where it's a when you look at it, it's a straight comedy, like let's say like a modern, a more I guess relatively modern movie like Old School. Okay, but there's Great. still a romantic element right. in there, right. but it's more of a comedy than it is mm-hmm. as a romantic romantic comedy. Um, and then you go on the other end of the spectrum with romantic comedy, like let's say Love Actually, where that's all yeah, ro- it's all romance, <laughs> but it's also really funny. And so it, it's, I, I, but then there's movies where you look at the romantic comedies. There's a lot of romance part, but there's not a lot of comedy. But then it's really light. Do you think that adding rom to the com means that the jokes don't have to be as good? I think so. <laughs> because <laughs> well, it, it allows you a, to get away with more. Yeah, I think it's a chicken and egg thing. Yeah. Because there is a certain, like, like a, 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 for TV, it would be dramedy. Mm-hmm. That, right. that, that, that genre of dramedy, it, it takes the pressure off of having to do a joke every three lines or a joke every like three seconds or whatever the formula is. Um, and I think with romantic comedy, there is that thing like, hey guys, we don't have to have all these laughs. Just We'll just make it fun and light. As long as it's fun and light, we can classify as a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you take the really good, like the, the romantic comedies that kind of people remember are the ones that had a strong, uh, solid element of romance and also a strong, solid element of comedy. Oh yeah, those are the ones that resonate and they, they stay with us for a long time. Um, those those cheesy ones from like the eighties, nineties, where I probably can't even name a lot of them right now, but I've seen um, they were they lacked in one of those two elements, and so they don't resonate as well. But like Love Actually is the one where I think people I, I bring that up because people know that movie. Yeah, everybody. Uh, even seen the it. director, and I always forget his name. Richard Curtis. D- Richard Curtis yeah, is surprised right. at the success of that movie. <laughs> he, he's he's even surprised at it. Um, like Pretty Woman. Is like the the one in the like it's based on what like what Cinderella the old the old yeah. kind of things where but of course in the modern day she's a prostitute a streetwalker. But then there's like there's something like When Harry Met Sally. Yes, you know which is completely fresh and still original today. And yes. just because it's witty, it pops. You know mm-hmm. there's and and again it's like the the ultimate example I always give is Annie Hall. Right here's what a romantic comedy should do. If you're going to do a movie about relationship or ships. There should be one point in that movie that you relate to. In other words, like if you see Annie Hall and you can't relate to any of that movie, you've never been in a relationship before, right? And if you can't laugh at at least one part or see yourself or your partner in that one part of the movie, well then, I mean, you've just never had a relationship. You've never been in love. Mm-hmm. And that's what a romantic comedy should do. It should make you relate yes. at least some point and go, ah, yes. And again, we're talking about resonate. There you go. That's how you do it. Yeah. And if it doesn't, it fails as a romantic. Of course, yeah. Or, or, you don't care. Or they'll say they'll say things like, "Oh, this isn't like this isn't about you." Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's like, well, no, no part of this romantic comedy can I relate to. Well, because you're, it's not about you. And then they they get they try to get away with that, but no, but you, part of your job in in making a romantic writing or directing or acting in a romantic comedy is to have it relate to the audience, at least one aspect of it. It should. And hopefully a lot more than one aspect does, but well, yeah. Um, ho- hopefully, like, and I think uh, that's why Love Actually, the success of it, so um, big is that they had so many different stories that there's so many different people it relates to. Because I mean, obviously, when Hugh Grant, his character is the prime minister, who can relate to being a prime minister? Yeah, or relate no. to dating a prime minister. Yes. I was just gonna say, <laughs> yeah. but you can relate you to can, the awkwardness of no. being like, I don't. You know, like, I don't know how to contact this person. I'm going to try a bunch of crazy That's things, thing. like yeah. knocking on every door That's on Christmas thing. Eve. Yeah, because it, it, what it does is, like, things like, like that <laughs> That storyline of Love Actually, the West Wing, American President, it humanizes these characters that we feel like, oh, they don't date. <laughs> and if they do, they probably just call 
a, some service to like, hey, I need a girlfriend. Um, and they interview all these girls. Get me Taylor. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to go down the wormhole. But that was one of the things that irritated me about that movie. Um, <laughs> about knocking on every seriously. door. <laughs> no, just well, anything to do with Prime Minister Hugh Grant. I don't believe that somebody who who speaks like this, or um, that is to say, uh, the Parliament, um, uh, he's never going to get elected. You know, that's his charming bit uh-huh. to stutter and to go um a lot. You know, it's just like you're never going to get elected like that. So I think that's I, part of the charm of this movie and why it did so well, though. Yeah, because there's that awkwardness that people can relate to. Speaking of re- relatability, yeah, and they put that awkward relatability in the seat of the prime minister, and then suddenly yeah. people are like, "Oh, this is different." It's I, like, that, I like the prime minister. <laughs> it's that it's that humanizing though of mm. these of these uh, positions. Where we're not used to, but yeah, I think like with um, the romantic comedy stuff is that as long as both elements, the romance and comedy, are solid, then I I feel as long as our values of falling in love and being in love don't change, that stories from like a hundred, two hundred years will just resonate because you can relate to it. Someone you respect gives you a recommendation, but you watch it and it sucks. Do you lose respect for that person? <laughs> um, I, I don't because I think everyone has the ability to like a variety of different kinds of movies, good and bad. Um, I, one example in my life was I saw the movie Airheads with Brendan Fraser. I think Adam Sandler's in there. I thought it was funny. I, I thought it was hilarious. And so someone goes, should I watch Airheads? And I was like, yeah, it's funny. After they, they saw it, they said... I'm never taking a movie recommendation from ever again. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Because that movie was horrible. I, go, I never said it was good. I just said it was funny. <laughs> I just said that the movie is really funny. I, I, I got a laugh out of it. And so to me, like, I, w- I wouldn't ever go to that extreme of like, if someone, like, for instance, um, there's someone in our panel who Cloud Atlas is, is their, one of the best films. Yay. Yeah, I saw Cloud Atlas. I don't agree with that assessment, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't take uh, a movie recommendation from that person again, because I think we all have different tastes at different times within ourselves. And there's some movies that we just find really interesting. I like the movie The Cell uh, with Jennifer Lopez and I think, uh, what's it, D'Onofrio. I thought visually it was fantastic. Uh, There's a movie called Dark City, which I really liked uh, with Rufus Sewell. Uh, But... Would I recommend that to people? I don't know. Because I know like those movies are kind of out there. And I don't know that I would be like, yo, you got to watch The Cell. Or you got to watch Dark City. Because um, I know it may not resonate with people. They may not like it. But if someone gave me a recommendation to watch, um, I don't know. What movie do I not want to watch? I don't know. Let's just say Trolls whatever. Trolls 2? Trolls 2, yes. They said, you got to watch <laughs> Trolls 2. It's fantastic. Trolls Because uh, in my mind, I feel like it's a cartoon. Yeah, might the not animated be. one with Justin Timberlake and. Oh, oh I saw a preview for that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a preview for that. Yeah, I probably won't watch that. No. Uh, but if someone was recommending, like, <laughs> oh, you should watch it, I'd be like, eh, wasn't really looking for a cartoon recommendation, but uh, all right, you know. And if if I if it turns out I didn't like it, it's not like I wouldn't take a recommendation for that person again, um, because, I, like, I try to like kind of be open minded about things because I know we all have, you know, it's not like. There's not, I don't believe there's one person that can recommend movies and they're always hits. Like they're like if they recommend ten movies, two or three of them at least are going to be movies that we may not like as individuals. 
And so, I don't know. For me, it's not a big deal. I, I can separate the two, long-windedly, obviously. So I was interested by this question, and I decided to do some research, and I wanted to know if there are any numbers or data behind this. Hmm. Um, it turns out, it's kind of like Walter said, there's not really a good predicting factor. There are people that are... Um, they are what is kind of called super reviewers or super predictors. I'm sorry. They're called super predictors. And those you can kind of batch people into groups. So based on one super predictor, like if there's a specific movie that they really like to watch, there's a good chance that there's a group of people that will fall into this category. But it's so loose that even, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, they have a really hard time. They've tried tons of different algorithms, um, gone to universities and tried to get, you know, some good science behind this. So I stumbled upon this really great NYU article, and it starts with this question that we've all asked, did we even see the same movie? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And what's interesting is that during the research, they've discovered that consensus among critics is high, but in regards to general audience, not so much which is very interesting. Um, And it makes you wonder, you know, are critics looking for different things than the general audiences? Obviously, they're they're coming at it from a critical perspective. They might have a writing background or a directing background um, in which, you know, they're they get professionally employed as a critic. So it makes you wonder, like they they, they're obviously viewing this from a different lens. Um, So in other words, if you're looking for someone to recommend a movie you'd love instead of consulting a professional critics review, you would do just as well asking a random person on the street. That's what this article says mm. is basically how um, reliable taste is in regard to being asking your buddy who likes the same movie that you do about another movie. It's just so subjective. And the article goes on to talk about perception. Obviously we are we are watching the same movie according to the study because based on rapid eye movement and based on, or just eye movement in general and based on brain activity, if they, they sampled about 3,000 participants, I believe, and roughly it was all the same for this same movie, like the eye movement, the brain activity. Where it's different, though, is the prefrontal cortex, and that part of the brain is in charge of, you know, emotions, personality, um, cognitive decision-making, all of that. So... Brain activity-wise, yes, we're seeing the same movie, but interpretation-wise, it seems like we're not seeing the Mm. same movie. I thought this was interesting, too. The researcher in this NYU paper, Wallish, noted that when discussing movies, people tend to use language that suggests they are talking about objective facts. Um, So they said they had this has some, you know, political implications, which I found really interesting. As for this question personally, does someone, you know, would I lose respect for someone if they gave me a bad movie recommendation? I used to think that way, but now I'm realizing, you know, especially after doing the research, it's so subjective. I do have some friends where I know that we don't always see eye to eye. And then I have, you know, other, there are other people like um, one of my brothers, like we tend to have a very similar taste. So I kind of gauge it off of that, but losing respect, not so much. Because nowadays it's, you know, you you watch certain movies for certain things. Like I'm going into a rom-com looking for the relationship, looking for the story. I'm not looking for, you know, some sort of psychological twist at the end. (laughs) So like knowing in and going what to expect or having different expectations, like everybody has different expectations. So I'm learning to gauge, you know, all of that differently. Mm -hmm. So I don't really 
<laughs> take away respect points anymore. I used to, though. First question is, um, do I lose respect if somebody recommends something that I don't like? Well, usually not. You know, I'm really hard to please. However, the guy that recommended the Umbrella Academy to me, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no, no more respect than I got. Um, everything else is okay as long as you don't come to me with reality TV stuff either. I'm still shocked either. by how many people liked Umbrella oh, Academy. How about it? When are we going to run that bit? That, that's our best trashing of anything. I mean, even more than Roma, we were unanimous on the Umbrella Academy. Maybe season two will be better. Yeah, sure. Like, I'm going to get that far. Like, Parks <laughs> in, and Rec was like that. In any case, in any case, I, I would disagree a little bit. What Rachel said was awesome. Okay, but I'm going to disagree a little bit with what she said in terms of um, you're, you're just as well listening to a critic as you are your friends, okay? I, I'm not sure that those numbers can be taken seriously because especially if a person is paying for a movie, they are much more likely to say that they liked it. They are also much more likely to say that they liked it more than they actually may have, ah. you know, a couple, three mm, years yes. later. Studies have shown this as well to be the case, that a few years later, you're, you're better to talk about it objectively. This is one thing that drives me crazy, by the way. I'm going to do a quick tangent. You're sitting there at the movie, and then all of a sudden it ends, right, and the lights go up, and somebody turns to somebody else and goes, so that was good. That was cute. That was funny. It's like, no, let it sit for a few minutes. If you're able to react to it and summarize the movie in five seconds, it's not that good a movie. It just isn't. Okay? The other thing is this. And this is one thing. Here, I'm going to do the old guy thing again. This is something we're losing these days. Film criticism. Art criticism. Okay? You can be anybody. You can have any opinion you want about any movie, but express yourself well. It's not, go see that movie, it's cute. Okay, that's just, and, and, this is, and this is the tyranny of Rotten Tomatoes. You know, you go to Rotten Tomatoes, again, where it's a bunch of people who go see it on opening night, so they're predisposed to like it. They're spending 25 bucks a ticket or whatever the hell it is in New York and Los Angeles these days, you know, and they're going to give it, I mean, is the second Marvel Avengers Infinity War movie really 96%? Is it really one of the greatest, like, 50 films of all time? No. But that's the tyranny of this democratic rating system that we have. Mm -hmm. Dude, talk to somebody who has something intelligent to say about it. Then determine whether you want to go see it or not. That's a review you should be listening to. And, of course, back in the day, you could open up your newspaper. Yeah. And even that, in the early days of the internet, you could still catch a lot of these guys, the James Bernard and the Roger Ebert. You know, you could still catch these guys online, but nowadays, you know, now you're looking at a democracy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, come on. I mean, you saw a democracy got us last time in this country. Well, well, but, well, but what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cheap shot. You mean, you mean the Electoral College got us what we have? Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, yeah, yeah. Good, touche. I think because with Rotten Tomatoes, it's like, not so much the blind, but it's kind of like the blind leading the blind. Um, whereas, like, as what you were saying about like critics, like we don't have that anymore. There's, I think, there's got to be a balance because, like, some critics look at a film only through the uh, the viewpoint of of a critic, where they're looking at technical aspects, story aspects that people may not know to look for. Yeah, your average Joe in the Midwest is not gonna care about lens flares yes yeah they probably don't even <laughs> well, know they see that yeah. star trek movie they might because <laughs> wow there was a lot 
Yeah, they're just not, they're not going to live for certain things. And I think people got tired of listening to critics talk about all these technical aspects and parts of the movie where they're just like, what are you talking about? Yeah, there are times that reviews can get elitist. And Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, there's ways to write a review that don't sound elitist. Yeah. But it's all in the explanation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you come out here and go, I'm a socialist. This movie is about capitalist pigs. People are going to understand where you're coming from, <laughs> yeah. you know, for example. You know, I hate Keanu Reeves. Let's talk about John Wick, okay? People are going to know where I'm coming yeah. from. Again, if you express yourself correctly, the guy that just wants to talk about lighting, if you're writing that well, they'll bleem away from you in the first paragraph yeah. if they don't care. Because I, I read a review. I don't know if you ever saw the Korean movie uh, New World. It's an it's a, it's a, a underworld mafia movie. And... The critic, I think she was younger, probably in her like low twenties. It's a team of critics. They had written about New World, and they said that they thought it was um, kind of like it was too um, over the top. And I was like, "What?" And then she mentioned that they would hit each other, like they would hit people, and that's like over the top. It was like unnecessary. <laughs> and I'm like, "Did you do any research about Korea at mm-hmm. all?" <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. happens in Korea. Yeah. So um, to me, like critics like that, where they're not doing the research, they're just like, oh, well, I think this, and so it's correct, because I think this. But I think if, if, you, if you get a balance of, like, do some research about the culture that, that, you're, that the film is based on, then you'll understand that, oh, no, it's not over the top. It's not out of the ordinary. Um, and, and her thinking that, I felt like she missed a lot of the comedy moments in the movie where um, instead of hitting his friend, he slaps his underling. Because he doesn't want to hit his friend. And you miss these comedy moments not knowing that. All she's thinking, oh, that's stupid. Who hits people? Well, in Korea, it happens a whole, a way more often than uh, one would think. Going to need you to explain that in a different episode. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I grew up with, like I feel like maybe like a good 45% of the kids at my school were Korean. Uh-huh. So like I get it, like, but I can't explain it to other people that didn't grow up with yeah. that. Yeah. It's a very... Um, it, it's sometimes... I, I, it's, a, it's a situation where... Um, rather than using words, um, a, a lot more can be a lot more power. Uh, it's a more powerful message to to smack someone around, you know, once per day. Allah, it happened one night. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I champion smacking people around. Yes, we do not endorse domestic. But abuse there are on some people podcast. that, yeah, they might, they might be best served by being smacked a couple times a day. <laughs> I won't mention any names, but, you know, they're in the White House. Uh, <laughs> uh, it Happened One Night, 1934, directed by Fa- Frank Capra, starring Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. Is it Colbert or Colbert? Colbert. Colbert. A movie that shows why Clark Gable, even after almost 90 years, was a movie star. He plays a sweet, streetwise reporter with an opinion on everything and stumbles upon the runaway heiress that everyone is looking for. A romantic comedy from the 1930s that set the bar for all that has come after. My big takeaway from watching this, and I'm not, again, I'm one of those people that's not used to watching old-timey movies, but my big takeaway from this is, oh, I understand why Clark Gable is a star. He has that on-screen charisma. He has that it that Walter always talks about. And I was like, oh, I get it. So that was the big takeaway for me. Um, I thought that the character was a little bit, um, Claudette's character was so whiny and kind of intolerable. But I guess the fact that 
um, Clark Gable's character wants her dad to smack her around is, you know, balances it out a little bit. No, I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, this movie just wouldn't She has do, it coming. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do well today. It, it just wouldn't um, for all the reasons that we've mentioned before. It's just, it's kind of, it's floating in its ambiguous time period. There aren't any historical events really to anchor it down and for us to say like, okay, this is, you know, this is the context for this film. Obviously, there aren't going to be any smartphones. There's going to be no GPS tracking for them to find Claudette's character. But um, in regard to the comedy aspect of it, I was like, I found myself chuckling a few times at the, more more, more so at the slapstick parts than I, th- I thought the, the singing of the walls of Jericho. I was like, I don't understand this. Is this like an old white people thing that is just going to go over my head? Maybe you should go to church. (laughs) I mean, I understand the reference, but I'm just like, why did they put this in the movie? Like, what is entertaining about this? I don't want to see them singing an old song. But um, yeah, it's there were a lot of, you know, typical movie tropes. Um, Would I watch it again? Probably not. But my big takeaway again was like, oh, I understand, you know, the the power of like charisma and Clark Gable. Like, I get that now. And I'm like, I understand why there are a lot of references to him. Um, my Oh, my other big takeaway was when they're uh, trying to hitchhike and he leans on the fence and he picks up a carrot and takes a bite. And I'm like, that's Bugs Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, I did some I did some research afterwards and. That character, that's that's what Bugs Bunny is based off. And there's a bunch of things in the movie that uh, Clark Gable does that was, you know, they they wrote that into Bugs Bunny's character. Mm. And I just found that really interesting. I th- Honestly, like while I was watching the movie, I was bo- I was like Googling like how um, his character and Bugs Bunny are similar. <laughs> um, <laughs> some more fun facts, though. This is the first film to sweep at the Oscars in the top five categories. Yeah. Um, also, Claudette fun. Colbert was kind of a uh, kind of a heel apparently. She complained every day on set. She hated the story, didn't attend the Oscars, which wow. she won for until she was forced to go to make her speech. They told her, <laughs> "Hey, you won the Oscar, you got to go." And she was like, "I guess." <laughs> she did not want to work with Frank Capra and, you know, I guess they got the right dollar amount to get her in, but it, she was difficult to work with apparently. She probably didn't like the script because it was about her. yeah that's her in real life i mean i i whooped this story pretty thoroughly before yeah i get the star power thing that's that's definitely there but i i wonder if even the stuff that's supposed to we're supposed to accept because of that era is that convenient i mean the bit where he like decides he's going to go into the newspaper office, sit down at somebody's desk and just crank out this story, which is told from a first person viewpoint and then just hand it to the guy and get like a thousand dollars, which is a crazy amount of money Mm -hmm. in those days. You know, this is around depression times, you know, so that's a lot of money, you know, for, for this thing that's not even a proper news. I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't buy that. The editor in chief would take that story from him as you know, they, they mentioned like, he's like, you know, one of their top rogue reporters, but even so, like, yeah, I mean, I just I just didn't I mean, that was the thing is that, you know, you can take this stuff with a grain of salt. You can adapt to the period. But even then, I, I just couldn't buy it. I just I just couldn't buy that this story would be headlines everywhere in the U.S. like they were implying, you know, that's the main story. Really? I mean, the 30s were boring. Huh? She was always in the news. And it's like today, like if, if, Kim, yeah, if, if, Kim, Kardashian, yeah. if Kim Kardashian went missing. 
I think like there'd be a lot large percentage that would cheer, but I think um, <laughs> there'd be an even larger percentage wondering, well, where'd she go? Like, can someone please find her? And then when she did come back, and if she was, she had a pending marriage to, I mean, she's already married right now, but she had a pending marriage to like, I don't know, like the king some of- Some basketball the, player. Yeah, or, yeah, or, you know, some, some you know- Kyrie Irving. Dignitary or whatever. Then, you know, when once she comes back, they're going to continue with the coverage that they were already covering is her- Yeah, marry, okay, okay. You know. We just All have right. to assume that the paper in those days was People Magazine. Yeah, okay. Probably. All right, you're talking me off the ledge a little bit here. But, <laughs> but I don't know, man. I, I I mean, yeah, Clark Gable has star power. He's done better films than this, too. So I'd imagine. Yeah. I, for me, the, this movie, it's... Or um, they just didn't know any better or whatever. But the part where she falls in love with him and he falls in love with her, they never showed that. Um, it was just... You, you hear the dialogue. And I think, and I don't know, to, in today's world, if a movie like that was made, I'd say they're lazy because you got to show it. But back then, I don't know if this was like, you know, one of the first handful of romantic comedies where they thought, oh, maybe we don't need to, you know, maybe we don't need to show it. Maybe we can just, if she just says that she's in love with him, the audience will just buy it and, and, and it'll be strong. So I don't know. I guess I can't say it's lazy, but I, for me, storytelling wise, I thought there was a large gap because they were on the road and they didn't really do anything idiosyncratic to make you feel like, oh, he's falling for her. Or, oh, she's falling for him. Yeah. They were just trying to get from point A to point B. And so that, to me, I thought was a large gap. But then after she kind of confessed her love and then, you know, he, you, the audience can see that he was in love with her, but he didn't really say anything. Um, then from that point on, you know, there's that whole, like, will they, won't they that goes on that they kind of, it kind of switched gears. Um so for me, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was all over the place, but it, it, relative to today's like romantic comedy, it, it was kind of like they, they put these pieces together. The beats are in different places than yeah. they would yeah. be in today's Hollywood Definitely. formula. And we're also, you know, we're also missing all the inserts that we would do here of like her stealing a glance when he says something that charms her. Like yes. we don't have that, which There's is probably nothing. why nowadays like editors are like get those close-ups get those yeah. close-ups so i can tell you a story and they didn't have that then it, whether or well, not they no. it wasn't that, convention again that's wells's you know contribution that's his, that's his revolution yeah. you know that oh let's shoot it like this you know mm-hmm. let's not keep the standard eight shots or whatever yeah mm-hmm. i thought i mean there's interesting parts um that and i don't know because i don't know obviously I, didn't, I wasn't alive at the time but like i thought a scene that was interesting that i didn't know where they were going with it was when um, he was uh, he, Clark Gable was pretending to be asleep on the train and she was mad at him so she was sitting somewhere else but the guy was I think he was snoring so loud she had no choice but to go back to the seat sit next to him and he sees her coming and he put, he, he lays his hand on the seat and I'm like <laughs> so does he want her to not see it so he she'll sit down and he'll, he'll grab her butt or is it because he wants her to actively touch him and move his arm or does he want her to wake him wake him up and I didn't know where they were going uh, with that but I just thought there was in that part there was a lot of of, of forethought on Clark Gable's character's part because either way they're gonna have to communicate for whichever way which if she sits on his hand they'll have to communicate if uh she moves his arm communicate they have to communicate uh if she taps him hey move your hand they have to communicate so I thought you know that eventually was the goal so to me, like that's the start of how he kind of like progress, like actively pursued her. Um, but 
I didn't see much. Like, like there was no glance or there was no like acknowledgement of like, oh, like, you know, I, I like her. Um, and with her, it kind of, for me, it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I know it was a romantic comedy. I know she's eventually going to fall for him. But uh, character-wise, it, it came out of nowhere. Like, she's like, I'm in love with you. I'm like, I'm imagining you guys have been together for one day because it's happened in one night. Um, it's, it's one day. Uh, but you're in love? It's like, really? Like, yeah. wait, I, I, never, I never saw it coming. I didn't see anything. Um, the, the older a movie is, the shorter amount of time it takes for people to fall in love. I mean, yes. it's, I, I can't stand that. Yeah. You know Which I mean? Is what Especially if like, she's getting blackmailed. Yeah. <laughs> she's engaged to be married. She's engaged to be married. Which, to me, the way I, the, giving them the benefit of the doubt, the way I took that was, is she was marrying him because he's a king. Yeah, there's a quasi arranged marriage there's because not, these are yeah. upper class folks. Yeah, sure. Even though her I get dad that, doesn't like I the guy. Um, which is which is I thought was kind of weird. It's like you guys got to go one way or the other. You can't yeah, have it both ways. See, yeah, that doesn't um, make any sense. But yeah, like I think, but the way they fall in love or the way they present it is, I feel like that's what's going on right now in today's romantic comedy, where they're like, oh, we've seen the the glance, we've seen them do little cute uh, things. We, let's not do that anymore. The audience doesn't need that. But it's like, no, we do. So if you look at a lot of the Netflix romantic comedies that are coming out, um, they kind of bypass all this. And then they leave it up to the audience for us to be like, oh, yeah, they must have fallen in love at another scene and we, we didn't <laughs> see it. That's awful. You know, and I think that's what's, it's that rushed thing where people don't know how to write these. You know, and, and if you, because I, I like the romantic comedy genre a lot. And it, you got to look at good romantic comedies to where that, you know, that will they, won't they? People think, oh, that, that's done. No, it's not done. It's just got to do it correctly. You, if you do it improperly, you can't say that the will they, won't they doesn't work. It's just you just didn't do it properly. Mm. And, and this didn't, this, you know, for a moment had that will they, won't they, you know, when she's, she's like all the way up to the point where she's walk, walked up to the altar. And then she goes, no, I got to go. And then, but I'm thinking, where is she going though? How does she know where he is? And then the next scene is they're together. And you're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> At least like carry it on for a little bit. Like, you know, have, have her try to find him. And so I think to, to me, like that part to me was lazy in the very end where I thought, because you know when he comes back, when Clark Gable comes, comes to the father and he's talking and he keeps asking her, do you love her? Do you love her? And he keeps saying everything but. I thought that should have been the moment where they, they came together and then the father talks to the daughter and she goes after him. But no, they, they, they extended it even further to, to the actual uh, wedding ceremony because their friend uh, across the stage had a wedding set up on their stage and they're like, we got to use this. And then and she, the guy came in on an auto gyro. Yeah. <laughs> what a terrible name for anything. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, I don't know. Like, would I watch this again? Uh, no, because it's in black and white. And the, the, <laughs> the version I saw, the, the lighting was super bad. Um, and yeah, I I don't know, but it, what what I did find funny though, or not funny, but like what I was interested in is Claudette Colbert was she considered like hot back then, or just beautiful, or just attractive? That's what I wasn't sure about because conventionally speaking, like right now, I feel like her face, and I hate to say this because it's about her looks, but her face in today's world would be like, like she'd be like the friend, the friend of mm. the hot girl. So 10 years later, we get Veronica Lake. Okay. Right? Because we talked about yes. that movie a few podcasts ago. Okay. So, and now she is deliberately supposed to be hot. Yes. She, that's the vamp, right? That's yeah. the vixen, right? That's the first classic Hollywood vixen. But 
in this movie, you get the legs scene, mm-hmm. right? And you were talking about Bugs Bunny before. How many Looney Tunes did that come up in after that? <laughs> when yeah. you look at yes. the old 40s, yeah. and there's always Bugs Bunny is doing it, right? And he pulls up his skin, I guess, yeah. to reveal a shapely woman's leg. This gag was repeated over and over again. I think that's an indication that, yeah, we're willing to sell this this woman as a sex object. I mean, she's yeah. sexy. She, you know, character. Yeah, she's. I mean, the they're thing. very it's, covered up because it's still the thirties. Yeah, yeah. This is before the pinup girl. The pinup mm-hmm. girl is what really made it okay to be like semi naked in American pop culture. Because the reason I bring this up is because if she's not considered like quote unquote hot or like sexy. Then the romance between them is more uh, intrinsic value than extrinsic, which makes would make, in my mind, the bond stronger. And it's really like they fell in love with each other as opposed right, to the yeah. way each other look, looked. And so that to me, because I'm not sure, to me, I know Clark, Kemp, Clark Gable is like this big actor and you know women, women love him and whatnot. But for me, like looking at, um, what's her face, Claudette Colbert, I was like, oh, so if it's the personality that he's attracted to, then they really missed the boat. On that one, because they really could have brought like kind of like turn that up the likability. Yeah, then where you where you go yeah. wow, like you know they're they're really falling for each other. So I bring See, this- because that was the that was one thing that I didn't like is she felt so reactive. Mm. And and you have movies and stories and plays at about this time where women are more proactive. Yeah, but I mean she the whole thing was about you know you know it's like these classic scenes like these action adventure movies where the guy grabs the girl's hand and then starts running and drags her. Yeah, and yeah. that was like this whole movie. I mean, you know, I know that she's never been in the outside world and a bus trip is so scary and all this crap, but still. Yeah. I mean, she she was helpless. She's the damsel she, in distress. Yeah. And I mean, over and over. You got to have that point where at some point she takes over. You know, that's, that's what, what we expect thing nowadays. That's what the leg thing I'm not explaining. I'm not guess, explaining your but, argument away. I totally agree with you that she's more, she's way more reactive than proactive. Yeah. But that was basically the only thing they gave her. That was, and the oh, I gotta go. That good old Meg Ryan. I gotta go. I've gotta go. <laughs> her, I mean, her character arc is not much. There's just not yeah, much. Yeah. I mean, the only active thing, I get, the most proactive thing she did is when she uh, left the altar. That was where she decided. And then the whole misunderstanding thing, like, oh, I thought he was going for this and I thought she was doing this. You never, we never got the scene between the two of them going, no, that wasn't what I, that wasn't. Yeah, they were missing that. You needed that. They were missing that. What what was that movie where um, they were meeting on top of the uh, Empire State Building? Sleepless in Seattle. The uh, the older one, the one that was kind of. um, It's not shop around the corner. No, the the one that they, they talk about in the movie Sleeps in Seattle. Oh, oh, yes. Um, oh, my God. A fair to I remember. Know, Is yes. it a fair to remember? I think it. so, yeah. So yeah, that yeah. one, obviously, it's an extreme example, but they needed that explanation scene of like, I didn't go because mm-hmm. of this. <laughs> and as a viewer, you need to hit, for Mad Economies, you need to hit these certain beats. Even though it might be cliche mm-hmm. or it might, you might feel like it's overdone, you need to hit these beats where people need to see it. And I felt like the end was just rushed. Like, I, and probably yeah. now knowing that Colbert was was such a diva on set, they're probably like, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> you've got because of that lack of explanation, right? Here's what you got on her wedding day. You've got two people really angry at each other, mm-hmm. right? Then father is like walking her up the aisle, trying to talk her out yeah. of it. You know, which is a classic. <laughs> 
and saying like, but he loves you, he told me so. Yes. Okay, if I were her, even then I'd say, yeah, so what? He still ditched me. Yeah. That's yeah, where, even worse now. He? Yeah, he ditched right. me, yes. But they still get past that, you know, yeah. without the explanation. Come on. Yeah, now. you need to see See, again, that. this is why I didn't like this movie. Yeah. You know, the, it's not like that stuff is revolutionary. Even no. if the rom-com genre is, this sort of storytelling is storytelling. Shakespeare did it. You know, it's like you can do this, you know, but they didn't. I think, you know, what it was is we were talking about before we started uh, the show was um, about picture deals. And I feel like maybe Capra had a picture deal. Well, he had to do 10 films in two years. Yeah. And and it could be any film, good or bad. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you know what? Fine. I'll just do this. Just do this. Like, you know, um, there's just too many holes for me. Um, But yeah, like, I think to me, like watching the both of them on screen, like, did they light up the screen? I don't know, because it was in black and white. It's hard to tell. (laughs) But having said that, um, like, the, the, it was hard to tell what kind of chemistry they had until that one night in the um, bed and breakfast where they're kind of like swindling them. Yeah, they have to pretend to be a married married couple. couple. Yeah, that She kind of went over to his side. Yeah, that's like the one standout scene for me in the whole thing. And you know what? You you can still buy it. You could buy that today. Mm-hmm. Right, you could that could happen today. Yeah, mm-hmm. modernize it a little mm-hmm. tiny bit, and but that could still happen because yeah. it's a very simple idea, and mm-hmm. they executed it well. Yeah. Like I mean, the mo- uh, the most recent example of something similar to this would be two night stand. They're on a, uh, I think a Tinder date, and then they they sleep together, and then there's there's a big massive snowstorm, so they're stuck. So they have to sleep together again. They sleep together again. <laughs> oh, I got you, Miles. <laughs> Miles the two night stand. Miles Teller. Miles Teller. Yes. Annalee Tipton. Yeah, Anna, yeah Tipton. <laughs> So they're, but wow, so they're forced, high concept. They're and Kid Cudi. Yeah, Kid Cudi. Rapper. Kid Cudi. Yeah, they're, they're uh, forced to be in the same you know, apartment for two days because of the snowstorm. And so it's kind of similar in that vein where they're, these two are forced to, to be in the same car or transportation vehicle for X amount of days. And you have nowhere else to go, which does follow this one theme that they have about romance, they being the world, is that if you stay together long, long enough with someone, you'll eventually end up falling in love with them. Especially if you hate them in the beginning. Yes, and that's like a modern. It's like a, it's like a movie. Uh, you know, a kind of like a genre in itself. Uh, but that's I think, so toxic. Yeah. See, with, and, and that's the thing with this. All though, my girlfriends out there, just because you hate him right now, doesn't mean you're gonna fix him. Oh yeah, no fixing is a. <laughs> that, that's a your gender issue. Our gender, we accept things as they are. No, no, no. There, I've I, there are dudes out there that try to fix girls, but they're really girls inside. Uh, so that's come on. <laughs> <laughs> we like to fix things that don't talk back. That's what our gender does. Your gender likes to fix things, fix everything. Uh, I have no comment on that. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, am I, I going to have to apologize for my gender now? I've had to apologize for my race on this show and my <laughs> age. And damn, you just have to apologize for hating Keanu Reeves so yes. much. No, I don't. <laughs> so no, I don't. Much. He needs to apologize to me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought overall, I mean, for the time period, I thought this was just it was all right as, as a romantic comedy. Um, just all right. I don't. I, I can't say it was bad. Just because there were elements in there I thought were okay. Uh, it just wasn't strung together very well, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, no, I would not watch this again. Like if we if, didn't have this movie, we wouldn't have Bugs Bunny. True. And thus, we True. wouldn't have Space Jam. So True. I guess I got to eat it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this has been the MacGuffin Report with Rachel Wong, Oz Davis, Walter Hall, 
produced by Inclusive Media.